1997, Ted Turner announced that he was giving a billion dollars to the United Nations. The billion dollars was the amount of his Time Warner stock had climbed in the previous nine months. He admitted that he was giving away only a third of his wealth. But, however you look at it, making a decision to give away a third of your assets is remarkable. And consider that he didn't give it to some type of the typical causes of the richest of the rich, not to the Turner Museum in some lucky city, not to endow a Turner chair at some fine university, nor to create a spacious sports stadium with skyboxes, nor to build a palatial center for the performing arts. Rather, Turner directed his dollars to food, clothing, shelter, and medical care for the poorest of the poor. And then daring his fellow billionaires to follow his suit, he promised, if you're rich, you can expect a call or a letter from me. Now, all this is very commendable, but it's also interesting on a deeper level. While being very generous, he also wanted to make sure that everybody knew how generous he was. Before making the gift, he called up Larry King so that he could start circulating the news. And then Turner made his announcements in a New York ballroom filled with tuxedos, evening gowns, reporters, and cameras. Now, perhaps it was because his stock had risen so much it seemed wise to him and his advisors to be very public about where his increase was going. But even with that, Jesus, as we'll see today, he says there is a better way to go about performing acts of righteousness. Open your Bible to Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. It's page 737 in your pew Bibles. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Matthew 6 and 1, Jesus speaking, says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds or your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will Himself reward you openly. And when you pray, you shall not pray like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, that they may be seen of men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now look at verse 16 of chapter 6. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. title of the message this morning is God Rewarded Righteousness. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you today. We bow in your presence and we surrender this time to you. Father, we surrender this time that we would hear from you about what you want from us in our lives. Our desire this morning is to learn and to grow, to be more like Jesus. Father, we want to be your disciples and we want to be the kind of disciples that would be pleasing in your sight, that would bring glory to your name. So today, let your Holy Spirit come and 
shut out all the other voices that we may be hearing right now. Father, the cares of life, the, the issues that we have, the things that are going to go on this afternoon, so that in this time, our hearts and our minds are fully focused upon You. Father, in this time as we look at Your Word, let Your Spirit take this Word and, and apply it deep into our hearts. And Lord, if there is a need for conviction, then You bring it. If there is a need for encouragement, then Father, bring that. Father, whatever our need is, we know that You are able to meet it. So today, let Your Spirit and Your Word work together powerfully, Lord, to strengthen, encourage, challenge, and change us so that we would be Your people fully devoted to doing Your will. Send Your Holy Spirit to fill me, that I would have clarity of thought and clarity of speech, and I could speak Your words and Your ways for Your glory. Father, it's not about me and what I have to say, but only about You. Have Your way, we ask in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, if you remember from Matthew chapter 5, the key verse of the last half of the chapter was Matthew 5 and 20. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Disciples of Jesus are to have a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And that righteousness, it is received and lived. It is received through faith in Jesus, and then once we have received righteousness from Jesus, the disciple then begins to live righteously through Jesus. Now, righteous living, according to Jesus in Matthew 5, is seen by living out the spirit of the law and not merely the letter of the law. We saw this all throughout the end of Matthew 5 when Jesus would say, You have heard it was said, but I say unto you. Right In each case, Jesus showed what it meant to live by the spirit of the law and not merely the letter. Now, Jesus continues that same line of thought in the first part of Matthew 6. In, the, in chapter 1, I'm sorry, verse 1 of chapter 6, the phrase charitable deeds, it could be understood as acts or deeds of righteousness. Right, So take heed that you do not do your, your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. Now, the good Jewish person was expected to do three basic acts of righteousness on a regular basis. Can anyone guess what they are? Almsgiving, praying, and fasting. Right? Jesus teaches that His disciples will continue these acts of righteousness. Right? Notice in verse 2. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, the idea here is that of giving to the poor, giving to the needy, when you do a charitable deed. Verse 3, when you do a charitable deed. Verse 5, when you pray. Verse 6, when you pray. Verse 16, when you fast. And verse 17, when you fast. At no point does Jesus say, if you. It's always when. His teaching carries with an expectation that those of us who are disciples of Jesus will continue to do these same three deeds of righteousness in our lives. When you give generously, when you pray, and when you fast. Scripture, not only did Jesus expect us to do them, Scripture shows us that the early church did these things and the apostles taught that we should continue to do these things. Right? We see this with all three. Right? First with generosity. Acts chapter 2. Now all who believed were together. 
and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Now, that's the very first picture of it we see in Acts chapter two. But what happens is once people begin to commit their lives to Jesus, they begin to lose out on things within the world. They begin to lose jobs. They begin to lose homes. They begin to to be in great need. So what does the early church, this very beginning church, do? Those who had extra, they sold the extra they had. They gave it to the apostles so that it could be distributed among those among them who had need. This was an example of, of great generosity as they were giving to those in need among their family, among their church family. right? But not only was this an example they followed, but a teaching the apostles promoted. Paul writes, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. But again, clear teaching on Generosity. Rather than trusting in worldly riches, we are to demonstrate our trust in God by doing good. Right? And this would be acts of righteousness, such as giving to others and sharing what we have. Now, we don't have a lot of time to get into this, but I do I always want to point out in this passage that there are two reasons God has given us what we have. Right? And we always have to keep these in balance. Right? On the one hand, we are told that God gives us richly all things to enjoy. right? So there is an element in which all that God has given us, it is for our pleasure that we should enjoy them. However, that's not the only reason God gives us these things. Also, that we would do good, that we would be rich in good works, we would be ready to share and ready to give and willing to share. right? That's the other half. Now what often happens is, we get out of balance with these things, right? We get out of balance to where it's like if you, if God has blessed you with a lot of stuff and money, well, then you're not really a good Christian who really doesn't love Jesus and you should give it all away. Well, that's not what the Bible says, right? The Bible says that we are given it for our pleasure to enjoy. So there is that. But the other ditch that we get into is, well, God has given it me richly to enjoy, so it's mine and I'll just do what I want and I'm enjoying it, so it's all mine. Well, that's not right either. Right? The, the balance we're to have is, yes, we enjoy what God has given us. Yes, we are blessed by God with this. But we also give generously. We're eager, ready, willing at a moment's notice, knowing that we are storing up a good foundation for the time to come. Right? That there are rewards that will come. And we'll talk about that in a moment. So there is generosity. Jesus taught it. The early church lived it. The disciples expected it to be continued among those who followed Jesus. And then prayer. It says, And being let go in Acts chapter 4, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard this, they raised their voice, raised their voice to God with one accord. And they said, Lord, You are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. And this is just one verse Every chapter in the first several chapters of the book of Acts, we find the church gathering together, praying. This was their their common pattern. Jesus ascended. They needed someone to replace Judas. They prayed. How do we do it? 
When they were waiting on the promise of the Father to come, they prayed. What do we do while we wait? Over and over again, as something came up, they began to pray. So the early church was a praying church. But not only did the early church pray, the apostles taught that we were to pray. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. So disciples of Jesus, we are to be devoted to prayer. That's the attitude about prayer we are supposed to have. Right? Devoted, vigilant in prayer because of how important prayer is, how much prayer matters in seeing the kingdom come and God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we have prayer. And then it comes to fasting. Now, giving, generosity, prayer, probably not surprising that Jesus and the early church and the New Testament epistles encourage us to do these things. We're very familiar with them. But when it comes to fasting, we are not nearly as familiar with it as we are with the others. And so, because we're not as familiar, we typically say, well, it's not as important. Or it doesn't rate as high, or it's not something we're supposed to do. And yet, before we would do that, I would point out two truths about fasting. The first is, Jesus' words on fasting are exactly the same as generosity and prayer. When you do a charitable deed, when you pray, when you fast. It's the same. Right, so if we say that what Jesus means when he says when you do a charitable deed is that we're to do a charitable deed, or that when Jesus says when you pray, it means we're to pray, then the only logical conclusion is when Jesus says when you fast, he, he means that we would also fast. The second truth to point out is that we do see this same pattern repeated with fasting. Right? In the book of Acts, they ministered to the Lord and they fasted. The Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them away. So when, when Paul and Barnabas were called to the mission field, what was the church doing? They were gathering together, ministering the Lord through prayer and fasting. The Holy Spirit speaks somehow to the church and says, Paul and Barnabas are then separated to go and do the work that I have for them. And in order to confirm that and to prepare it, what did they do? They, they prayed and they fasted some more. And then they left and they went and did the work that God had called them to do. So not only we see the early church fasted, but we also see teaching on fasting in the New Testament. Now, I, I will say there's not as much teaching on fasting in the New Testament as there is about generosity and prayer, but the pattern still holds. This is an interesting passage that shows it. It says, Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own home body, but the husband does, and likewise the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time, that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer, and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. This is a passage teaching on marital, marital intimacy. Husbands and wives are to, to give one another the proper affection and intimacy. They are not to use it as a weapon to get their way by withholding it. The only thing that stops this sort of intimacy 
is by mutual consent for the purpose of prayer and fasting. So we see that it was an expectation that this is something that would be done. And then once that time was up, they're to come together once again. So generosity, prayer, and fasting are our three deeds of righteousness that disciples of Jesus are meant to do. Now, not only are we meant to do these, but as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, we see that Jesus cares about how we do them. Right? Look at verse 1. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Again in verse 2. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Verse 5. When you pray... You shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to maybe be seen of men. And then verse 16. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Jesus gives us warnings about the way that we practice these deeds of righteousness. Now, a part of what we learn from this is that motives matter. And that's a huge thing to learn about being a follower of Jesus about everything. Jesus absolutely cares about what we do. But he also cares about why we do what we do. Right? He cares about our motives. According to Jesus, it is possible to do the right things and in the wrong ways and so lose our reward from the Father. Right? Jesus teaches here. His teaching here serves an important warning. Because we know that we have an enemy, don't we? He seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. He prowls around looking for someone to devour. So what does he do when it comes to the deeds of righteousness that Jesus wants us to do? He'll do one of two things. One, he will try to prevent us from doing them. If he can prevent us from being generous, he wins. If He can keep us from prayer, He wins. If He can keep us from fasting, He wins. He he will do what He can to prevent us from doing the things that Jesus said we're supposed to do. But, if He can't keep us from doing them, He'll tempt us and deceive them so that we do them with the wrong motives. Because even if we do the right thing, but we have the wrong motives, Satan still wins. A victory in our lives. The wrong motives according to Jesus are to be seen by people. And to receive glory from people. That's the In all of those that's the idea. You do them in such a way. So that people will see. And that people will glorify you for what you've done. Now Jesus in all of these cases refers to those who do them in this way. As hypocrites. Right? Showing that the motive to be seen by men and the motive to be glorified by men, it is rooted in hypocrisy. Uh, He repeats it throughout the passage. Don't sound the trumpets. Don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the hypocrites. Now, hypocrite is an actor. And that's a huge thing. But so often in our culture, we're told that all Christians are hypocrites. And that's not right. That's not true. And the reason people say all Christians are hypocrites is because nobody fully lives up to the standard that they hold as right. And that's true. We don't fully live up to the standard we hold as right. But if, if you're trying to live up to the standard that Jesus has set and you fail, 
That doesn't make you a hypocrite. That makes you a human who has a sinful nature and sometimes fails. That makes you an imperfect disciple of Jesus. Welcome to the club. You're like everybody else. A hypocrite, a hypocrite really doesn't try to set up, live up to that standard. A hypocrite is an actor. A hypocrite wants people to think that they live up to this standard. They want people to think they act this way. They want people to think something about them. But what they want people to think is not true. That person is a hypocrite. Now in the context of Matthew 6 and 1 that we're looking at today, a hypocrite isn't giving charity because they care for the poor or because God has said to They're giving charity so that people will see them and say, oh, look at that. What a good person they are. But in the context of Matthew 6, a person isn't praying because they love the Lord and they want to connect with him and, and know him better. Instead, they're praying in such a way that people will see them and say, oh, I wish I had the relationship with Jesus. That person has listened to the way that they pray. And they're not fasting because they want a deeper devotion to Jesus or they have some spiritual issue they want victory over. They're fasting for someone else. No, they're fasting so that people will see that they're fasting and say, oh, I just don't think I could go without food for Jesus. Man, you love Jesus in a way I just don't think I could. Right? They're, they're not about Jesus or God or others at all. It's really all about themselves. It's a show. They're putting on a show that others will see. Now the question we might have is why would someone do this? Right? Because we don't fool God, do we? Nobody believes that they're fooling God with their hypocrisy. He knows our motives. He knows why we give, why we pray, why we fast. So why would we do it? It is for the praise of people. It is so that people will see what we do. They will glorify us. They will say, oh, what an awesome person. Everybody should be more like you. Now, Jesus says to do it with that motive is not acceptable. Right? To do these acts of righteousness for our glory and not God's, it may well result in people praising us. I mean, if we hold a press conference and give away a billion dollars, there's going to be a lot of people talk about how great we are. If we stand and we pray in such a way that people see us every time that we do it, people are going to say, boy, they love God. If we fast in a way that people see we're not eating for Jesus, they're going to say, man, I just don't think I could do that. That's awesome. I wish I was more like you. But Jesus says that is all the reward we will get. That we get nothing from God for doing it for ourselves, for our glory, for our recognition. God will not reward us for right actions that have been done in the wrong ways. So not only are we to do them, but we have to do them in the right way. So what is the right way? 
Well, we do them without fanfare. Look at verse 1 and 2. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward. Your Father in heaven. I'm sorry, verse 1 and 3. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Verse 2, they blow a trumpet. Look at me, I'm giving this away. Verse 3, Jesus says, just kind of do it under the radar without making a big production of it. We do it, the acts of righteousness, by yourself. Look at verse 5 and 6. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites standing on the, in the synagogues on the corners of the street. They may be seen of men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. So do it alone. Do it by yourself. Do it so that people don't see what you're doing. And then without drawing attention to yourself. Verse 16. They, when they fasted, they made sure to have a sad countenance. They disfigured their faces so that people could see they were fasting. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that you do not appear to be fasting. So we do it without fanfare. We do them by ourselves. And we do them without drawing attention to ourselves. As I was studying this, another question I had is this. Does this mean that all of our, our acts or deeds of righteousness have to be hush, hush, super secret, or God won't reward us? Does that mean that if we tell someone about our generous giving... Or helping someone, we lose our reward from God. Does that mean if we pray in public where people see us, we lose our reward from God? Does it mean that if someone finds out we're fasting, we lose our reward from God? Now, I was always taught the answer to these sorts of questions was yes. That was the the mindset I, I was raised with. And living with this mindset for several years, it caused me to live in fear. Right? Because if I felt like I was supposed to give to someone, I was afraid to ask advice of anyone else. I mean, how do you, how do you ask for advice about giving to someone without telling someone you're giving to someone? Right? How do you, how do you pray over your meal? Or how do you post on social media that you're going to be praying and you want to pray for other people? How do you, what do you do if you're fasting and someone says, why won't you eat right now? What do you do in that case? Well, for me, it left me in a, a deep sense of, of being nervous and fearful. Oh my goodness, I have to be so secret about all of this. I remember once, several years ago, there was a, a pastor event at the Nazarene Church at noon. And it was on the, the last day of a multi-day fast I'd been doing. And there was going to be a luncheon provided. And I showed up a little bit late so that it wouldn't be obvious that I wasn't getting up and going to eat when everyone else did. But when I walked in, Pastor Terry caught me and he said, hey, go and get you something to eat. And I said, no, I'm not going to eat. And he said, are you fasting? Now what do I do? Do I lie? That can't be right. Do I tell him yes? In which case I've lost my reward. And and I didn't know what else to do. I just said, well, yeah, I, I, I am. And he, he chuckled and he said, people always try to give me good food when I'm fasting too. And he walked off. I, I nearly cried. Right? Because in my mindset, I, I had just, my fast had just become a hunger strike for no apparent reason. Because I'd lost my reward for telling Terry that I was fasting. 
What I've come to realize is this mindset is wrong. And it's far from what Jesus means when he talks about don't blowing trumpets like the hypocrites do. Jesus' teaching cannot mean that no one can ever know what we've done or are doing. Because all of these things are done openly in Scripture. The generosity we saw in Acts, it took place openly. People openly gave their stuff, the apostles, to sell. Or they sold it and openly gave. Right, So they were doing it in front of people. The church prayed publicly together. The, the verse in Acts 4 that we use, the church was gathering together and praying together. And even the fast. When Paul and Barnabas were called to missions, the church was having a corporate time of fasting. It wasn't like all of them individually, without talking, decided they would fast. And what a coincidence, everybody's fasting at the same time. It was the church getting together and saying, hey, I think we should pray and fast to see what our next steps are. So people knew. The point of Jesus' teaching here isn't that we're to be super secretive about our acts of righteousness. The point of this teaching isn't to make us live in fear of someone finding out what we did or are doing. The point is, don't make a show of it. Don't make a show of it. Let me give you some examples. Don't hold a press conference before you give a donation. Right? When I was a kid, our, our church voted in a business meeting to start a building fund to add on to our church. Our church was not a wealthy church, so this was kind of a big deal. When the meeting was over, the vote had been taken. A fellow in church stood up, interrupted the meeting and said, I'll start the giving. And he whipped out his checkbook and he said, I'll start the giving with a thousand dollars. Now, a thousand dollars was a lot of money in the 80s. It's a lot of money now. If you want to stand up and give it, we'll take it. But the point is what Jesus is saying. Don't do that. But he wasn't giving for the sake of the church. He wasn't giving for the sake of Jesus. He was giving in such a way that everyone would know. He gave a thousand dollars to the building fund. What Jesus would say is, don't do that. If you want to pray in public, whether for your food or for someone or for some other reason, don't make it into a big production. The, the job I had before we came out here occasionally would provide lunches for us. They would bring in uh, Subway sandwiches, the big sandwiches, and leave them in the break room. And there was a guy that worked in a different department who would walk in, see the sandwiches, every time, this was not just once, every time, walk in, he would see the sandwiches, he'd raise his hands in the air, and he would say, thank you Jesus for the food, bless it to our bodies, and bless those who provided it for us. About that loud. You heard him all over the building. What Jesus says to us is, don't do that. Right? Don't, don't make that kind of a production about it if you're going to pray in public. When you fast, don't draw attention to your fasting. Don't walk around looking sad and miserable so people will ask you what's wrong and you can say, oh, I'm fasting and it's just so hard. Don't walk around with a frowny face and when people are eating go, oh, it looks good, I'm so hungry, I wish I could eat, but fasting for Jesus. Right? Don't, don't make a production of what we're doing. The way that we do these acts of righteousness matters because of the result that we see. When we do them in such a way to draw attention to ourselves, we may and we will likely receive the praises of some people. And if that's our goal, huzzah, congratulations. 
That's what you get. And according to Jesus, that's all you'll get. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. All you want is the praise of people. Make a show of it. Receive that. But don't expect anything more from the deeds of righteousness. But if we do them in the right way, the Bible gives a promise. When you do your charitable deed, verse 3, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Verse 6, your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Verse 18, your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. The God who sees in secret will reward us openly. That's an enormous truth for us to get. God always sees what we do. God always cares about what we do. If we had time, we would go to Revelation 2 and 3, and it provides a great illustration of this. Jesus writes these letters to the seven churches. And in each letter, he says something of a variation of, I know your works and your labor. Sometimes he knew their patience and their struggling. Sometimes he knew their suffering. Sometimes he knew their, their hard, that how hard they had worked. But he always knew what they were doing. And, and because he saw what they were doing, he, 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 he commended them for it. He gave them promises associated with it. But nothing we do for God will ever go unnoticed by him. Just because people don't see it doesn't mean no one saw it. God always sees, God always cares, and the promise is the God who sees in secret will reward us openly. So what Jesus says is that when we do the right things with the right motives, God will reward us. And the key truth for us today is that God rewards righteous deeds done in righteous ways. God rewards righteous deeds done in righteous ways. In Scripture, we find that rewards from God, they sometimes take the form of blessings here and now. What will be the blessing that God gives us for being generous or for praying or for fasting? Well, I can't give you anything specific because the Bible's not specific to those. Just that there will be something. Maybe if we're fasting, we overcome a stronghold in our life. Someone that we're fasting for gets saved. Or we just grow to know God better. If we give, someone else gives to us. You, you, we just don't know. right? But there is a reward that does come. right? There are blessings in this life that we receive. For doing the right things in the right ways. There are also eternal rewards. The Bible promises us when we do the right things in the right ways. But turn with me to 1 Corinthians 3, page 871. Familiar passage, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. 
For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the test and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as though through fire. Now the Bible speaks of two separate judgments. And every human on earth will stand before one or the other. Revelation, there is the great white throne of judgment that the unbeliever will stand before. That's where the books will be opened and the book of life will be opened. And they will discover to their horror that the Bible was right. Since their names are not written in the book of life, they they will be cast into the lake of fire. The smoke of their torments will rise up forever and ever. Then there is another judgment seat which some have referred to as the Bema seat. It's the judgment seat spoken of here in 1 Corinthians. It is the judgment seat that believers will stand in front of. The purpose of this judgment is not to determine whether or not we're saved. We see in verse 15 that if anyone's work is burned, he suffers loss, yet he himself will be saved. The point of this judgment will be to see what we have done with what God has given us. Right, Verse 11, we see that there is a foundation laid in our life which is Jesus Christ. The moment that we're saved, we receive a new foundation. Christ has been laid in our lives. And from that point on, Paul says, we begin to build on that foundation. And we build with either gold, silver, or precious stones, or wood, hay, and straw. Now, in the context of the passage, what we need to know is, every action we take, every thought that we think, every word that we speak, every way that we react, everything we do from that moment on, we build on the foundation of Christ. And with each of those, we build with either gold, silver, or precious stones, or we build with wood, hay, or straw. And then there will come a day where we stand before this beam of seat of judgment, and it's almost like all of our works will be put in a great big pile right in front of us. And fire is going to to go on to them to test, to see what we have built on the foundation of Christ in our lives. And of course, the, the wood, hay, and straw, when the fire hits it, it's going to burn up and it's going to be gone. And all that will be left will be the gold, silver, and precious stones. And, and what's left, that will declare the worth of Jesus in our earthly life. What was Jesus worth to us? How did we devote ourselves to Him? What's left will declare those things. And then we will receive a reward uh, left in reward based upon what's left. Now, again, it does say that if everything is burnt up, there are no rewards. But the person is saved because we're saved by faith through Jesus And yet we go into heaven without any rewards. Now, I don't understand everything there is to know about rewards. Here's what I say about that that I know. From what I can tell, the rewards of what's left, they are part of the crowns that we're given so that we can throw them at Jesus' feet. And throwing our crowns at Jesus' feet is just saying, this is what you were worth to me. 
If everything burns up and we're safe still, we have no crowns to throw at his feet. It'll essentially be saying, you didn't mean a lot to me while on the earth. Not a good look, I think, for eternity, but still better than going to hell, but not good. Now, for our purposes today, we need, I want us to see the gold, silver, and precious stones as righteous deeds done in righteous ways. Because every time I do a charitable act in the right way, I'm laying with gold, silver, or precious stone. Every time I pray in the right way, it's gold, silver, or precious stone. Every time I fast the right way, it's gold, silver, or precious stone. But at the same time, every time I give to be seen by men, to receive glory from men, it's wood, hay, and straw. Every time I pray to be seen by men, to receive glory from men, it's wood, hay, and straw. Every time I fast in such a way to draw attention to myself, it is wood, hay, and straw. And all of that is going to be burned up. And we will receive no reward for those righteous deeds on the day of judgment. Because righteous deeds must be done in righteous ways to be rewarded by God. There's a story about a so-called holy man who lived in a far eastern city. And as a sign of his great humility, he covered himself with ashes. However, every day, he would situate himself on the most prominent street corner of the city... And sit there all day. As the story goes, when a tourist would come up to him and ask for his picture, he would take the ashes and rearrange them so as to give the best image of his destitution and humility. In commenting on this story, Pastor John MacArthur notes, A great deal of religion amounts to nothing more than rearranging religious ashes to impress the world with one's supposed humility and devotion. The problem, of course is that this humility is a sham and the devotion is to self, not to God. Jesus says, beware. Beware when we pray, when we fast, when we give, or when we do anything good. We must beware of practicing our righteousness before other people in order to be seen and praised by them. Instead, we must live holy lives because we love God and we love others, and also because we know that God's eyes are always on us And he rewards those who seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I want to ask you to bow your head and to close your eyes. I want to to close with a question. What do you want more? Praises of man or rewards from God? If your answer is rewards from God then you must do righteous deeds and you must do them in a righteous way. In this time of response, do you need to repent of not doing righteous deeds? Because as disciples of Jesus, we are meant to be generous, we're meant to pray, we're meant to fast. Do we need to repent of not doing those things? Do we need to repent of doing righteous deeds in an unrighteous way? Have we done them so that people would see and honor us? So we must repent. And then do you need to repent or do you need to commit to doing righteous deeds in a righteous way? Whatever the need this morning, take the time and let's do it now.